Second Thessalonians. I um, ran out of time this this morning. I tell you, I have thoroughly, personally, I have thoroughly enjoyed studying through um, just Paul's relationship with with Timothy, and I have been. I've just been challenged as I've studied this relationship with Timothy about just your investment in the life of the generation behind you. Paul knew, Paul knew this, that if he was not going to invest himself into some younger men, what was invested in him or what was placed in him was not going to continue another generation. And I think it's vitally important I think it's vitally important that we ask ourselves, who are we investing in? Everything that you know, not, it's not about your own wisdom. This is what Paul was giving Timothy and what Paul was giving these churches as he was writing them. He was giving them what the Lord gave to him. Paul spent time with the Lord, and because he was spending time with the Lord, he had something to invest in someone. The more you spend time with the Lord, I think the more you have to give. And Paul here is is I've been just studying, the, just uh, going through, really going through Acts, and you find where Paul's at, and then you find where Paul's uh, writing, and you kind of put all those together. And there was someone that on many occasions I found is Timothy or Timotheus, we find. Timothy. And Paul was allowing Timothy to see firsthand his relationship with God. I want you to think about that this evening. Timothy was able to see how Paul responded. Paul was beaten and imprisoned, and Timothy was there with him at times, and Timothy got to see how Paul responded when things didn't go the way Paul wanted them to go. Timothy knew Paul because he was with him. He knew if what Paul was saying was accurate, if Paul lived it, or what Paul's advice wasn't what Paul lived himself. You know, a lot of times I think that we're very, very cautious to allow somebody close to us because we really don't want them to find out everything or get too close because some things might be revealed. I think Paul gives a great, uh, a great example to us that in order for us to reach and train and invest, we've got to let them get close to us to see truth. And so we find where Paul is writing to this church, the Thessalonians here, in 2 Thessalonians, we find in verse number 3, and we saw this morning where Paul said, finally, brethren, pray for us. And I'm not going to get into that here again, but Paul saw the need for prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. Paul understood that power that comes from prayer. And then Paul, he goes on, and, and we, we found here in these verses, each verse gives us something that Paul was asking for them to pray for. And we find in verse number five, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, this is an important verse here because this is kind of what that verse there sums up what Paul is trying to straighten out or help this church. Paul wrote the, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, encouraging them, we're going to go there in just a few moments, encouraging them with the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And he's encouraging them to live their life 
So it counts for Christ. And as he's encouraging them that in 1 Thessalonians, he gives them the impression that at any moment, and we believe that, it's true, but they took it to where, where as I mentioned this morning, they quit their jobs and, and, and they figured the Lord is coming back today. And that's how they live, like he was coming back today. And it caused a lot of questions and it caused a lot of confusion. In this verse here, Paul is using to help uh, alleviate some of those questions and concerns. And, and he says this, he uses this word, patient, waiting for Christ. And Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. He challenges them to patiently wait for the Lord. Meaning and understanding this, because many of them were quitting their jobs, many of them were just depending upon the church, and many of them were getting discouraged because it wasn't happening when, he want, when they wanted it to happen. You know, many of us as Christians, I believe this, we would get discouraged when things don't happen in our life the way we want them to happen. Do you ever, maybe you wouldn't say this out loud to somebody, but have you ever been impatient with God? I mean, you have a need, and it isn't that you don't believe that he can meet the need. That's not what's frustrating you. What's frustrating you is the fact that he's not meeting the need. Knowing that he can, and knowing that he's able to, but he's not. And if you've experienced that, now you understand what's happening here to these Christians. They know, they believe that Jesus is coming. Why do they believe it? Because they, they, but Paul taught them that. They believed. They believed that Jesus was coming again. They believed in the rapture of the church. They knew it. They believed it. What was frustrating, that it wasn't happening. And at times in our life when we know God can do it, we believe he can do it, those are often the times that bring us the greatest frustration because we don't understand if you can do it and you're going to do it, then do it when I need you to do it. And Paul addresses them and encourages them, and he says to them this, patiently wait. I think this, what we need to learn to do as Christians is wait upon God. In understanding what Paul is helping them to understand, you know, Paul didn't know the day or the time that Christ was coming back. As I read Paul's uh, epistles, I really believe that Paul thought Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. I really believe that. I think Paul wanted Christ to come back. It came to a place where Paul desired that, and then Paul got to a place where Paul said, I desire to, to die to be with Jesus. He, he was so, so ready to meet Christ. He was, he was ready to be done and, and go on to glory. But Paul really thought the Lord was coming back. And in and, and the, and the church here, they believed the Lord was coming back, and it discouraged them when he didn't. We looked in this morning, we looked at some things, how to stay faithful. It's difficult to stay faithful when you battle discouragement, isn't it? It's difficult. It's difficult to stay faithful when, when there's things in your life that aren't happening when you want them to happen and how you want them to happen. And again, it's not that you're losing hope in the Lord. You're just discouraged. And Paul is 
telling them to be patient, waiting for Christ, not to allow, not to allow anything to come in during this time and believe anything false, not to allow anything to come in and, and get you sidetracked and get you off course. Don't allow anything to come in and get you sideways with the Lord or don't get to a place where you're discouraged and you see that living the Christian life is something not worth living. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God's word. Paul mentioned that there's going to be a, a great falling away of the faith. There's going to be some that can't patiently wait. They get discouraged. They walk away. The temptation gets so great and they walk away. And so Paul is, is writing this epistle to help them and encourage them to stand fast and not give up when discouragement comes. I want you to turn with me again just over to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And I believe that one of my responsibilities would be to encourage the church to stay faithful, to not get discouraged. I believe that as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, Paul says there's going to be a great falling, of the way, uh, falling away of the faith. And also, we're going to find where persecution is going to come. I just uh, uh, was in a conversation this week, and people were asking that we're in that conversation, what do you think about this or that? What do you think when, when the Lord comes back? Are we as Christians going to see any persecution at all? And the reality is this, there are Christians that are around the world seeing persecution right now. We have it pretty good in America. I watched a video just yesterday of a, of a, a uh, 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 Muslim group of men taking Christian men and, and beheading them and just throwing them into a pit. I mean, it was graphic. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And this isn't something that was happening 2,000 years ago. This is something that's happening today, right now. The reality is, is there are great there are Christians that are being persecuted for the faith right now. There are people that are being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ today. And so there is great persecution to those believers happening. Are we going to see it in America? I don't know the answer to that. I believe, I believe that we're probably going to see it at some level, at persecution coming at, before Christ comes. I believe we're going to see uh, persecution. I believe it's going to be more difficult to stand. I believe it's going to show those that truly have faith and those that are just religious. I think we're going to separate and we're going to see that not everyone has the zeal and the uh, desire to serve the Lord when persecution comes. When it gets difficult, there's going to be some that quit. And so we find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, in verse number 1, Paul writes this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So Paul is saying this, I don't know when the Lord's coming. It's going to come when you don't expect it. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that day should overtake you as a thief. 
that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of, of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And so Paul is challenging the Christian there as he's talking about the Lord's return, that we're to watch and be sober. We're supposed to live our life in such a way, anticipating the Lord's return. Don't get caught up in things that as the Lord returns, we're caught up in things and not anticipating or waiting for his return. And as a Christian, we, we need to understand and realize the Lord is coming back. Paul said that very, very, very uh, uh, easy to understand. The Lord is coming back. He's going to return. But now he's challenging this church to, to be sober, to, to, to be sure your mind is in the right place. Be sure your desires are in the right place. Be sure your treasures are in the right place. Be sure that you're living a life in such a way where you are anticipating the Lord coming back. How many of you these, have a little fun with these that were up here here this evening? How many of you remember that day? I remember so, I don't know if I'll ever forget it, that day that I married Michelle. How many of you remember your wedding day? I mean, I remember what she was wearing. I really do remember what she was wearing. It was a white dress. <laughs> But I remember events of that day, and then I remember when I was standing there on that, on that platform in that church, and those back doors opened, and, and she stepped into that auditorium, her and her dad. I'll tell you, my heart just, I had to pick it up. I was like, wow. Incredible. I couldn't wait to be married that day. But I don't only just remember that day. I remember counting the days down till that day. How many of you remember that? Anticipating that day. I think it's more than just the ladies that anticipate that day. I hope. I was excited about finally marrying Michelle Moke. She was going to become Michelle Rands that day. I remember talking and planning and preparing. How many of you remember those late late night phone calls. Any of those remember those? Like you got to work the next day. For me, I had to go to school the next day, but you're up to like two in the morning. And you said for the last two hours, I really need to go. All right, bye. You say bye first. All right, bye. You say bye. Anticipating that day. As that wedding day came, it consumed everything that we were thinking. I wasn't thinking about anyone else. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was thinking about the day that my wife and I were going to be united as one. Paul is challenging the church here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Anticipate that day as that type of day. Be sober. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Verse number seven, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here, what he's telling us to do is put on what? The armor of God. 
Now, why would he tell us to put on the armor of God? Why would he? I mean, right here in the middle of this, he tells us, put on the armor of God. You know, I believe the reason why is because there is an enemy that's going to do everything he can to stop that from happening. We looked where Paul said this this morning as we looked, Paul said to, 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 to pray for us that, that we would be delivered from any influences that would keep us from sinning. Listen, we must live our lives putting on the armor of God. I've been watching my wife study for this, this ladies' Bible study, and, and I like to know what she's studying. So when she's not looking, I take her book and I flip through it and I kind of read through and, and uh, I was reading her notes. And I loved what she was writing and what she was studying about the armor of God. I think one of those things, Christians, that we must do now, we know it's in the word of God, we know it's there, but we must be diligent about putting on this armor, putting on the, the, the breastplate of faith and love and in the helmet, the hope of salvation. We've got to be serious about this. And what Paul is challenging us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is to be serious about the fact that Jesus is coming again and serious so much so that you are ready in being prepared for this day. And to be prepared for this day, that means that we must watch how we're living today. It isn't for us just to stand here and just wait. All right, I'm just going to stand and wait for the Lord to return. What he's telling us is this, there's going to be work that needs to be done. There's going to be a life that you have to live. And as you're working and as you're living this life, you need to prepare yourself so that nothing can take your mind and your heart off of the fact that Jesus is coming for us. He's coming. He goes on to say this as he tells us to be prepared to put on these things. In verse number nine, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish, admonish them, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now, this is the verses I want to get through here this evening. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. What Paul is showing us here is how the church should behave as we're waiting for the Christ's return. He says in verse 14, I exhort you, brother, or I edify you to do this, or I command you, or, 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 or take this seriously. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. He's saying this, those that are living a life not waiting for the Lord's return, they're out there living. He says, warn them. Make sure that they understand the life that they're living is not the life that a Christian that's anticipating the return of Christ to live, that's not the way we ought to live as Christians. Go after them and warn them. He says this, that we're supposed to, to uh, 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 comfort the feeble-minded. Now, we see that word feeble-minded, and there's nobody here that would want to admit I'm feeble-minded, but, but there's times all of us need this kind of comfort. 
those that are going through valleys, those that are going through discouragement, those that are going through depression, those that are, are needing help, he's saying this, go after them. And what Paul is showing us here is as a church, we must stay together. We must be single focused. We must be caring for each other because the Lord's coming back and we can't be fractioned, everyone doing their own thing when Christ returns. The church ought to be a place where, where those that are walking away, those that are living unruly, that they get a warning. It ought to be a place where those that are feeble-minded, those that are needing comfort, they find comfort. He said, support the weak. And then we find that word again, be patient toward all men. How many of you struggle with patience? Isn't that hard? That's hard. He says, be patient. You know, as I study that and see that, everybody in their Christian walk is at a different place. Have you ever been discouraged with someone because they're not where they need to be in their walk with the Lord and it discourages you? And there's some here in this church that, that uh, in, in, in uh, uh, Paul that Paul's writing to, there's some here, they're not always at the same level. You know, the same thing would be in true in this church as well. Not everybody's at the same spiritual level. There's going to be some that will gather on Tuesday with our men in the, the book of Ephesians, and some will understand that book, and others may not understand it. You know what, what Paul's saying? Be patient with those. Be patient. Don't get discouraged because someone doesn't know the word of God, maybe like you know the word of God. Walk alongside of somebody and encourage them in the walk with the Lord. Don't discourage them because they don't know as much. Ladies, the same, as they get into a Bible study, sometimes in a Bible study, sometimes people may say things that you scratch your head and you think, where did you get that? You know what Paul says? Be patient as people are growing. Be patient with people. Don't judge them. Don't discourage them. Hey, be glad that somebody wants to learn. So be patient, he says, toward all men. In verse number 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And then he begins just very quick, these verses, quick verses on how the Christian ought to live anticipating the Lord's return. He says, put on the armor of God. Why would I do that? Because Satan's going to attack you. We're going we're gonna, to, that's going to cause the church to, to come together. And as you come together, make sure when you come together, if there's somebody in the midst there that's unruly, make sure you warn them. Make sure you go after them. Make sure that you help them understand where they need to be. And those that are feeble-minded, those that, that are discouraged, or those that need comfort, make sure you bring them in and, and comfort them. And those that, those that maybe don't know as much as you know, have patience with them so that what's happening, the church is growing and becoming stronger and those that are unruly are being kept in and those that don't that need comfort they're being comforted and those that are growing and immature there's somebody that's helping them mature why is this so important because when christ comes back he wants to find his church faithful faithful 
The church, the body of Christ, is supposed to be winning others, is supposed to be growing. The church should constantly be growing by adding new believers. That's the job of the church. But the church can't do that if those that are unruly are living their way and those that are feeble-minded aren't being comforted and those that, that uh, may not have the walk that you have aren't, someone's not dealing with them in patience and helping them grow. What's going to happen is everyone's going their own way. Everyone's doing their own thing. And Christ wants to return and find the body faithful, the body serving, the body reaching the world, the body preaching the gospel. That's how Christ wants to find his church. He doesn't want to come back and find his church doing everything except anticipating his return. And then he says this in verse number 16. Rejoice evermore. And I touched on that this morning in the first service. I didn't even get this far in the second service. Paul begins now to deal with our heart. Christian, how is your joy? How is your joy? He says this, rejoice evermore. Every area of your life ought to give you a reason to rejoice. Your service for the Lord, your love for the Lord, your love for other, your dealings with other, as you're helping an immature Christian become a mature Christian, you ought to find, rejo- you ought to find joy in that. I think as we study Paul, the bigger picture here of Paul is Paul is studying in in bringing Timothy alongside of him, and Paul is saying to this church, I want you to rejoice evermore. Paul is rejoicing in his bonds, and Timothy is watching him rejoice. Paul is in prison and, and singing songs. Paul is found faithful. Paul, whatever place he is in, he is finding himself to be content and rejoicing that he has an opportunity to serve the Lord. And I believe this, for some of us, we might be in a place where we don't like where we're at. And instead of us not liking where we're at, instead of us not being confident and comfortable where God has us, we need to learn to rejoice where he has us. Rejoice. Well, you don't understand the situation I'm in. It puts stress in my life, and it causes anxiety, and it causes me worry. And listen to me, you're talking to somebody here with Paul that he had stress, and he had anxiety, and he had worry. He wasn't sure if he was going to spend the night in jail that night or not. He wasn't sure on nights if they were going to take him out and stone him. He wasn't sure what, uh, if, 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 if he was going to survive that shipwreck. He wasn't sure if he was going to survive that, that mob of men. But you know what he found? He found that no matter where I'm at, no matter what state I'm in, I'm going to rejoice because I've got the presence of Jesus Christ with me. Listen to me, Christian, I believe this, for us to, 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 to fulfill and be ready, Christ is coming back, Christ is going to return, and it could be today, and we need to be found faithful, and how are we found faithful? We need to rejoice, no matter what the situation in your life is, whether you like it or not, whether you're happy or not, learn to rejoice, and be content where God has you. I think the Lord is serious about this. I think there's Christians that walk around and just are miserable. How are you doing? Oh boy, it's been tough. You know what I'm talking about. There's Christians you come in contact with and you don't ask them how they're doing because 
Whew. You still have the time. Listen, wherever you're at, you, your life ought to be lived to be an encouragement to somebody. There ought to be young Christians that come into this church. And yes, I'm not minimizing the stress that you might have or the pressures in life you might have or the struggles you're going through. But a young Christian ought to see us as we're going through that and they ought to see us rejoicing. How are you doing? You know, life's not always the way I want it, but I'm rejoicing in the goodness of God today. And there ought to be someone that you are constantly encouraging They ought to see where your life is and see how you're rejoicing and say, boy, that's how I would respond. I'd respond in a negative way, but that person must be a strong Christian because how they're rejoicing in the Lord. Your lips, your lips ought to cause somebody to see God greater than they've seen him before. Your lips. By rejoicing. Then he says this in verse number 17, pray without ceasing. And I know I covered that this morning, but church, I believe that as the day of the Lord gets closer and closer, we need to pray more. Prayer. In verse number 18, he kind of goes with verse number 16. He says this, and everything give thanks. Now look at the other half of this verse. And this is the convicting part. Paul says, in everything give thanks. What does everything mean? Jeff, what does everything mean? You said almost everything? In everything. Every moment of every day. In every situation in your life. Paul said to give thanks. How many of you have been through a trial or you're going through a trial? You know what Paul says? Give thanks. Give thanks. It's difficult to give thanks when I'm seeing life through my lenses. And that's why Paul writes the second half of this verse in verse number 18, in everything give thanks. And then look what he does. Here comes conviction. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you don't have a spirit of thanksgiving, you're not accepting what God's trying to accomplish in your life. We need to understand the faithfulness of God. And, and, and I don't have time to develop all of this this evening, but Paul talks much in these two books, First and Second Thessalonians, about the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. God is true. God is just. He saved us, and he is sending his son to come and, 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 and catch us up into the clouds. We are going to be raptured. What God said is true. He's coming again. He saved us, and I can guarantee that he's coming again. And I can guarantee that. Why? Because the word of God says it. And so therefore, I ought to give thanks. He's got a plan for my life. He's got a will for my life. And no matter what that plan, no matter what that will looks like, I'm supposed to have an attitude of thanksgiving. Who is it for us 
Who are we to say what we should be doing and what our life should look like and what it shouldn't look like? Who is it for us to say this shouldn't happen or this should be the way it ought to be in my life? Paul is, Paul is living his life, and you know what his life living for Christ did? It put him in prison. You know what Paul said? I'm going to give thanks because I have an opportunity to serve God. What Paul is doing is Paul is living his life, and, and it caused him to be taken out to, of the city and to be stoned. And Paul said, I'm going to give thanks because I have an opportunity to serve God. And as Paul is, this is happening to Paul, there's a young man, Timothy, that's watching this happen. And listen to me, what I want us to understand is there's somebody that's watching you live your life and are you living your life where you understand that God has a calling and God has a purpose and God has a plan? Are you thankful that he's working in your life or are you discouraged because he's not working the way you desire him to work? That's what Paul said in everything. In everything, give thanks. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God is working in your life, and we ought to thank him for working. In order to do that, in verse number 19, he says this, quench not the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God that convicts. That's the Holy Spirit of God that encourages Listen, as we're going through trials, as we're going through persecutions, this church began to go through much persecution because they were living for Christ. This church was active in their faith. This was a busy uh, center here in Greece, a, a very busy si uh, city, and a lot of commerce came. Matter of fact, if you were to study this city, Rome allowed this city to have their own currency because so much business took place here in this city that they were able to have their own currency. And so there was a lot of things that were transpiring, and they knew that this, if we could reach our city, we could reach the world. And because they had great zeal, great persecution came and great uh, uh, trials came to this church because they had a desire to reach the world and, and the world didn't want to be reached. And so we find that great persecution came and Paul is encouraging them in that persecution, encouraging them uh, 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 to live a life in such a way to where others are seeing how they live and live a life in such a way that you're being led by the Spirit of God. And when he prompts you, don't quench that spirit. Listen, we've got to live our life in such a way where the Holy Spirit of God can work. Do you notice that Paul didn't start with quench not the spirit? Paul starts with this, your heart, make sure you're rejoicing, make sure that you're praying, make sure that you're thankful, and then, 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 when the Holy Spirit of God is able to work, don't quench what he's trying to do, let him work in your life. In verse number 21, he says, prove all things and hold fast to what's, that which is good. He says, prove all things. You know what he's saying there? Live your life in truth. Prove that God is good. You know, I don't need to live my life in such a way where I'm living, showing Ken that God is good. 
Live your life in such a way when trials come and when persecution comes and when, dis- when hurt comes and when sorrow comes, live your life in such a way where you're proving God's faithfulness. God said to prove him. The just shall live by faith. Every single one of us ought to be living a life of faith, proving God. He wants to be proved. He wants a a child of God to step out by faith. He wants you to be in a place where you have to fully depend upon him. He desires for you to be in a place where it's not easy in life and there's going to be an issue and there's going to be a problem and you're at a place where you can't resolve this issue on your own. He wants you to be there and he desires for you to prove him and step out by faith and watch him work. He He wants to work in your life. Listen, I would challenge each and every one of you this evening, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through a difficulty, prove God. He's faithful. He's faithful. He says, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. And then abstain from all appearance of evil. Do you notice here he doesn't say abstain from evil? What Paul is challenging, don't even get close to it. We as Christians need to live our lives in such a way where it's not even a question. It's not even a question. I, 16 months, I guess 17 months or so ago, we came, Lord led us here to Monclovin. We're having a meeting with uh with the advisory board men and I noticed I noticed that there was something that I as a pastor was able to do nothing wrong with it but I as a pastor was able to sign checks at the church I thought that's kind of odd I've never been able to do that before so I met with the met with our our board and I had said to the board, you know guys, I just don't like the appearance of that. I had no thoughts of doing anything evil and I didn't have any plans to. But I went to the men and I said, you know what guys, I, I don't even want that opportunity. So he said, what do you want to do? I said, you know what I want to do, Tom? I want you to take my name off of any, any check signing. Why would you want to do that? Because I want to take any appearance, any opportunity, anything that someone could possibly say, I want to remove myself from that. I think in every area of our life, we ought to evaluate we ought to see how close are we? How close are we? I have this, my office and my church office and at home as well. If you were to look in my door, you know what you would see if you looked in my door? You'd see my computer screen. You say, what? You don't trust yourself? Much as I trust your flesh. We have, a, we have a rule in our home, we don't, allow, we don't allow our kids to take any electronics upstairs. 
You don't trust your kids as much as I trust my flesh. At home and my study at our house, I have a computer screen. You know what I have in my computer screen? If you walk in the, my, my office at my house, you know what you would find? You'd find, you'd see my computer screen. Why do we do that? Because if I abstain from any appearance of evil, I won't get caught in evil. I let my wife, and my wife the same, any, any password to any email account or anything that we would have, our phones, my wife has every single passcode that I would ever have for anything. You see, if I keep abstaining from the appearance of evil, then I never have to get caught being involved in evil. Paul is trying to help the church here get to the place where the world didn't overcome them, where Satan didn't overcome them, realizing this, that Satan will use any opportunity he can, any opportunity he can, any opportunity he can to destroy your life. Here, Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians, he says, Jesus Christ is coming again and be found faithful knowing that his trump is going to sound and that, that, that uh, a voice of the archangel and you're going you're to be caught up in the air. Jesus Christ is coming again. Comfort one another with those words. This is a wonderful thing, but he says this, be found faithful till he comes. Be found faithful. And a man cannot be found faithful, and a Christian woman cannot be found faithful if they're living in sin. And Paul says this, abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't even get close enough to it. If you stay away from the appearance of it, you'll never get involved in it. He's challenging us. You say, why would he put that there? Because what happens is this. When we get discouraged, when we get depressed, when we get down, when our hope starts to fade, as it started happening in this church, the easy thing to do is allow your flesh to start making you feel better. Allow your flesh to start making decisions in your life. And Paul is instructing them, even though discouragement comes, even though difficulties come, even though trials come, don't let the world overtake you. Don't allow that to be a reason reasons why you have fallen away from the faith it's going to come there's going to be a great falling away but don't let it be you and you can make sure it's not you by abstaining from all appearance of evil somebody comes and wants to talk to me in my office you know that first thing I do if it's a lady if my wife is able to I bring her in if nobody's around I won't talk to somebody but if not I take those blinds and I make sure those blinds are always opened I don't want anybody to say preacher's in that office for an hour counseling that lady no listen I think in the day in the last days, Christian, we need to be sure that we're found faithful. Some this evening, you need to evaluate your lives. For some, you might be flirting with evil. And you might think that you, you can handle it. You might think that you're in control. What you're going to find is this, that sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It always costs you more than you want to pay. It always keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin will destroy your life. And Paul is saying, before it even gets there, stay away from it. Before it has its hold on you, don't get near it. 
Live your life on purpose so God is glorified in your life.